Hi, and welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we are librarians who love to read and talk about books. And today we uh, decided at, sort of at the last minute to change what we were going to talk about. We're postponing our binge-worthy episode for <laughs> uh, two more weeks. Um, given the current state of affairs, we wanted to not ignore what is happening in the world and and do a different topic and pivot a little bit. Um, right. We are not, we are, we are two white women with quite a bit of inherent privilege that comes with that. So we didn't think we were the best people or the most knowledgeable in any way, shape or form to, to tell you what you should be or shouldn't be reading right now to better educate yourself or what we should be reading to educate ourselves. Um, so what we decided to do was to talk about some books by um, black authors that have risen to the top in our favorites. And I think a lot of these are going to be familiar titles if you've listened to the podcast at all. But uh, I don't think we've talked about any of them before. Is that right, no. Anne? Just, just in passing. In passing, yeah. I don't we think like them, so they come up. So yeah, mentioned, yeah, mentioned them as favorites or comparing them, but I don't think we've ever actually talked about any of these. So, um, yeah. <laughs> um, what would you like to say, Anne? Anything? Um, I th- I've I've been thinking a lot this week about um, just how much work we all need to do mm-hmm. in in making sure that we are recognizing different voices mm-hmm. and um, making sure we're as well educated mm-hmm. on um, the state of affairs in race in our country. Mm-hmm. Um, you can feel like you're doing a lot and still not be doing nearly enough. Right. And, um, and so looking through my books um, in order to decide what I wanted to talk about, I, I kept thinking I need to do better. Yeah. And, in um, what I read. And I know that we both make a concerted effort to be diverse in our reading and to talk about books um, with diverse authors and stories and um, share all different kinds of perspectives uh, on our podcast. But um, we both, I think, would agree that we default too Mm -hmm. often to just Mm -hmm. white authors and and white stories. And so um, that's just definitely something that that I have committed to mm-hmm. um, changing and I'm sure Hallie has done the same so mm-hmm. it's um, it's just heartbreaking to see what's going on right now in the country yeah yeah I think it's something that we've want we've made a concerted effort certainly in the last five years that we've been doing this podcast I know uh, we yeah. have made a concerted effort but I think that there for I will only speak for myself I won't speak for you or for anybody else there's definitely room to do better uh, in in reading from different perspectives and different backgrounds and also I am not a huge nonfiction reader as many people who listen would probably know uh, but <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of books being mentioned this week in my social media feeds that I feel like uh, I've probably need to be reading to better educate myself um, and about my biases that are sort of um, those implicit biases that I don't even recognize that I have so I always have to remind myself that Just Mercy is one of both of our favorite books. Yes. And so then I think, oh, I bet there's a bunch of other experiences mm-hmm. I could have like that mm-hmm. of, of how I felt when I read Just Mercy mm-hmm. or um, how we fight for our lives mm-hmm. or, or things like that that are just some of my the books I recommend more than other. Mm-hmm. Probably both of those I talk about to friends more than any other books. And 
Um, and so when I, when I am not reading as widely as I should be, I think that's just, not only is it, am I doing a disservice to those communities? Mm -hmm. I'm doing a disservice to myself Mm -hmm. for that, that knowledge and that enjoyment of those voices. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, so let's do what we do, which is (laughs) talk Talk about the books books. that we like (laughs) and, and hopefully uh, that will give our listeners some good recommendations for books to read that uh, maybe they haven't already picked up for themselves. So are we, we're both doing all fiction, right? I'm doing all fiction. Yes. I'm doing all fiction. Oh, this is an all fiction podcast. That's fun. That is fun. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm first. Um, so I will first talk about The Sellout by Paul Beatty. And this is not the easiest book to describe. <laughs> I'm so curious what you have to say about this book because I have read this book. Oh, man. You might have to help me on this. Oh, I'm <laughs> not going to be any help. I... <laughs> this book was not... not my cup of tea yeah it's it's satire I, I definitely, is not my thing yeah, yeah it's it's definitely not the kind of thi- like absurdity is not what i usually gravitate toward as far as my reading goes i'm much more into it with comedy and and uh tv but but not so much in my book uh choices but um i think i read this because it won the booker prize in 2016 mm-hmm. and i was just trying to keep up with the awards at that time i don't i don't do as well as i used to on that but Um, but I'm sure that's the reason I read it. And I know that I read it when I was recovering from my first surgery and I kind of just sped through it. And I think that I shouldn't, I don't think that's the right means of reading this book. I think that you kind of need to to sit with it for a while because it's, there's just so much going on in it. And so you can't just be like, oh, here's this fun plot that I'm I'm following along. So, um, so if you do read this, take a little bit more time than I did in, in like a day and a half of, of reading this book. Um, so the, the narrator is an unnamed black man and he goes by, uh, me, just the word me. And the book opens when he's defending himself in front of the Supreme court for having a slave and reinstating segregation in the town that he lives in, which is like part of LA, but kind of in the the southern part sort of almost it feels like the outskirts but not and the town is called dickens and so that's the the very first chapter and then there's a flashback to so you can see how this all happened and it's basically this this man's life story so dickens is described as an an agrarian ghetto and the narrator grew up on a farm with a single father who was a sociologist and he uh, basically performed mental experiments on the narrator. And so he was, so the narrator th- grows up thinking his father is brilliant, but then when his father dies in a police shooting, it turns out that he's just a crackpot and he has nothing to show for his work over these many years that he's been uh, supposedly writing. So, um, so the narrator inherits the farm and then because Dickens is this embarrassment to the city of LA, it ends up disappearing off of the map. So the narrator starts a campaign to get it back. And at this point, the town is mostly Hispanic, but it had started, um, when the narrator was growing up, it was a black community. And so he decides that he's going to segregate the town between the blacks and Latino 
population um, basically to get attention for the town. So he recruits a man named Hominy Jenkins to be a voluntary slave for him at the same time. And this man is the last surviving member of The Little Rascals, the, the TV show. And he was basically a lesser version of Buckwheat, but he used all the same racial st- racial stereotypes on cue for the show. So, um, so still as problematic of a, a figure as Buckwheat is. And he says that he felt like race had more meaning in his life when he was on that show. So he wants to get it back and he decides to do that through slave labor. And he talks in this very Song of the South kind of style of of speaking and it's really shocking to read like you don't you don't really expect it when you come upon it to to shock you in that way but it really is jarring to read um which is the point so the situation escalates until it gets to the supreme court and the the book is i've listened to several uh uh, interviews with the author because um, there's just so much to unpack in this book. And he talks about how it's just a, a pure satire on how we talk about race now and how we tiptoe around race when we talk about it and how absurd that is because it doesn't, tiptoeing doesn't change anything. Um, so the formal segregation in the book is is meant to be shocking, but it's supposed to show how in reality we are actually segregated in, in how we um, live amongst each other, whether we want to admit it or not, um, which is something that I think many white people are um, starting to become more aware of this week. So um, it is very, very funny. And as you're reading it, you can't believe what you're reading because it's it's just so absurd and so shocking and so... Un- uncommon to how we we do tiptoe around race um, but it's just really sharp and um, I think it's something at some point I don't know when because it, it is really a, a, a lot to take in this book um, but I would like to go back and spend some more time with it because it, it has a lot of um, I think really smart things to say and that is The Sellout by Paul Beatty yes don't know what to say <laughs> Did I did I summarize you adequately? It? Summar- yeah, you did a nice job summarizing. <laughs> good, you good. Did a really nice job. It's just one of the most bonkers books. I've yeah, ever read. it's yeah. And I think he. I, I mean, when I read it, I thought, oh, he deserves the Booker absolutely for this mm-hmm. because it's he's just doing so much with it. Mm-hmm. But um, it's it's a lot to take in. It is a lot to take in. I think I did it on audio too, which I don't know is the oh, best format for that. No. Yeah. yeah. No, no, I don't think that was a good idea. <laughs> I don't think I had a choice. I think it was a, an oh, assignment. I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay. My first one is An American Marriage by Tayari Jones. And I have definitely referred to this, but I don't believe I have talked about it before. So I'm very excited about all my books today because I thought I had talked about all of them and I hadn't talked about any of them. <laughs> that was one of the most fun, fun things in our pre-discussion of... of you thinking you hadn't talked about or that you had already talked about one and then realizing you could talk about it and you were so excited (laughs) literally all three of my books I thought I had already talked about so the first I know so this is an American marriage it's about a couple named Roy and Celestial who have been married for just about a year I think they're pretty early in their marriage and they are going to Roy's small uh, hometown in Louisiana for a visit and when they are Uh, I believe, I'm sorry, it's been a little bit since I've read this book. I think they haven't gotten there yet. So they're spending the night at a hotel prior to arriving. And they get in a little bit of an argument. And it's not a huge deal, but, you know, it's a little spat. And 
Roy decides to leave their room. He's going to go cool off. He's going to take a little bit of a walk, go get a snack or something in the from the vending machine and just take a couple minutes apart. And in the time he is gone, uh, a woman at the hotel around the same time uh, who is staying there is raped. And Ultimately, Roy is accused and convicted of the rape that happens and is sentenced to 12 years in prison. And he is absolutely adamant that he did not do it, but uh, it has really no recourse. Uh, once he is convicted, it's sort of like, well, you're in prison. And so clearly a group of people decided you did it. That's where you're going to stay for the next 12 years. And what the book does is it follows Celestial and Roy as they try to maintain their relationship during his incarceration. So obviously there's a lot to the story that's about wrongful imprisonment, um, but it's also about their their relationship and whether it can survive this forced separation uh, and, and the circumstances of the forced separation. And so Celestial is, is grappling with what this means and starts leaning on uh, Roy's lifelong best friend, Andre, first for things that you would expect, you know, so, something needs to be fixed around the house. And so she calls him and because he's offered, if anything, if anything, you know, if you ever need me for anything, call me kind of thing. Uh, but she also starts relying on him for emotional support and things start getting messy uh, in the relationships between the characters. And the biggest thing is that Celestial and Roy love each other, but is that enough? Is, is love enough to carry them through this time? And does Celestial have the faith in him that's strong enough to overcome any doubts she might have about where, what happened when he was gone? And, and can they survive? Can their relationship survive? Because it's still a relatively young relationship. They've only been married a year or so when this happens. And so they don't have a history of 30 years together to rely right. on and and so much of their relationship especially at the beginning is about planning for the future of what their lives will look like they're both uh, excited about expanding their careers and having family and things like that and so suddenly when that all shifts they start questioning whether they want to be together and so it's a very thought-provoking really a sort of heartbreaking look at these characters um, and, and the complex way that that love exists between people. Um, and I felt like I just loved the characters. I was so invested in the outcome for, for each of them individually and then for them as a couple of what was going to happen, happen to them. And the ending feels... I felt perfectly right for the story that is told. So with, without giving away what happens at the end, I felt very satisfied with the way it ended. It felt like a very complete story to me. Um, and I can't recommend it highly enough. It's An American Marriage by Tayari Jones. Did I, I told you how I saw her at a, a conference, right? And she was just so interesting and so funny. No, I don't think Did, so. She spoke at... Um, the Southern Festival of the Book that, mm -hmm. that happens in Nashville mm -hmm. every year, and she and it was uh, her and Celeste Ng speaking together. Oh wow, that's and, a fun panel. Oh my gosh, it was so good, and and it was just the two of them. They were like the the final keynote mm -hmm. speakers together, um, and and she just had such, like the stories she told about microaggressions mm -hmm. were so horrifying, and but also like so 
I don't want to say understandable, but mm-hmm. but it was it was kind of terrifying mm-hmm. of how how easy they were mm-hmm. um, to happen. And um, yeah, she she just had really really great things to say. I would love to see her speak. I've loved. Yeah. I've read now. I went back and read Silver Sparrow after, which I think I've talked about um, after I read this, just because I loved it so much. I was like, I have to read everything. <laughs> Has she just written the two? I think so. I don't. She might have a third one there that I've not read yet, but um, other things overtook my reading life. But yeah, uh, I think it might just be those two. I'll look it up later. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, my next book is Passing by Nella Larson, and she was part of the Harlem Renaissance. So this is a classic uh, book. I think I didn't write down when it was written, but I think the twenties. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, yeah. Um, so Nella Larson, uh, I'm going to tell some some background information because it, it really feeds into the plot of this book. So she had a mixed race father and a Danish mother. And her father left and her mother married a a Danish man. So it's two white parents raising her. Um, And then they had a daughter together. So their daughter is white. And so she's the only person in her family who looks different. And so they're moving in communities that are all white. And so she's struggling um, as she's growing up because she just didn't belong but then she would try to go into black communities and didn't fit there either because she was not black enough um and she she said that she lived in denmark for several years i think a few times um throughout her life and she had better memories of living there than she did in the u.s because denmark just doesn't have the same racial baggage that the the u.s does and so it, it gave her a very different experience than than what she was facing in the United States, um, which is is just such an interesting background. Also, side note, she was a librarian and she went to school in Nashville. And so those three things, Neato. Denmark, librarian, Nashville, are all like me. And so They're... I feel like she and I are best friends. Obviously. Yeah. Um, so the book is about a woman named Irene Redfield, and she is black and lives in hus- in Harlem with her physician husband, and they're well-to-do. They're She's kind of like not not socialite in a vapid way, but but kind of that lifestyle where she does her charity work and and is a pillar of society. Um, and she's light skinned and she can pass for white. And so she goes to Chicago at one point for a a short trip. I can't remember what the the trip is for. And she runs into a childhood friend um, from growing up named Claire. And while they're talking, she finds out that Claire is married to a white man and is passing. And so her husband has no idea that she's black and her husband, Claire's husband, meets Irene and doesn't realize that she's black. And so he makes racist comments in front of the two of them, but they don't say anything because they're they're passing. So Irene is really shocked that Claire lives this life and seem and that Claire seems to find it really exciting and um, kind of dangerous. And this makes Irene really uncomfortable. So she decides that she's going to break contact once she um, gets back to New York. And so Claire doesn't want this. She she keeps sending her letters and she seems really intrigued by this this community that she's left behind. And she decides that she wants to come back. And so she shows up unannounced at Irene's apartment and starts to infiltrate her life. And she goes to the the charity balls that Irene is throwing and she meets her husband and and she's just a really charming woman. And so um, she sort of ingratiates herself easily into into this life. So Irene feels really uneasy and she 
is observing the relationship between her husband and Claire and is pretty convinced that they're having an affair and, and knows that her husband is at least extremely attached to Claire. So that tension is ratcheting up through the book and it, it's a really, really short book, but it leads to one of the most uh, ambiguous endings I've ever read. And you know, I love an ambiguous ending. <laughs> so I'm all over this. Um, so this this book was written when there was a lot of concern in white society about crossing racial lines and the um, being very invested in racial purity and the a concern of being somehow tricked into having that purity uh, tarnished. Mm-hmm. And so it's addressing things that I, that are still very common now, but maybe with a different slant to them because I don't know that we talk about that that kind of tricking anymore mm-hmm. um and so that was an interesting kind of aspect of of uh, race that i i wasn't as familiar with um there's also a really big focus on class in this book and uh what it means to be a well-to-do black person and um the worry in the white community that blacks would attain a higher class position by passing and and sort of in their view getting something that they didn't deserve um by tricking other people um, and, and I think this book really gives a different perspective than other Harlem Renaissance novels that I've read because Della Larson was always an outsider. No matter where she went, she always lived as an outsider, um, which I think is is just a, a kind of a shift from what I've seen before. Um, she only ended up writing two novels and she eventually disappeared from Harlem and there is actually speculation by her former contemporaries that she started passing and and moved to a different part of New York mm. um, which is is just a really compelling story I think so small output but just a, a fascinating person in a fascinating book and that is passing by Nella Larson that is one that has been on my list for so long and I just have not gotten to it but you made me want to pick it up right you away. would love it yes. it's a really fast read too yeah. i mean there's there's tons to think about so you're you're going to think about it for mm-hmm. a long time but the reading process itself is mm-hmm. is fast yeah i want to read that one all right so my next one is such a fun age by kylie reed and again i think i've made references to this but yeah I haven't <laughs> talked about it yet um <laughs> which is wonderful so this is about um <laughs> A woman named Amira who is in her mid to late 20s, I believe. I think she's about 26, I want to say. And she is a babysitter, not a nanny. She's a babysitter. And she knows that at her age, she should probably be trying to advance her career forward. But quite honestly, is kind of happy doing what she's doing. She takes care of these two, uh, a baby and then a three-year-old kind of like as a part-time job. But she is 26, I'm just realizing, because she's about to come off of her parents' insurance, which oh, I think yeah. happens at 26. Yeah. And so uh, all of her friends around her are are being promoted and getting engaged in things that signify adulthood in many ways. And so she feels like maybe she does need to be doing some of this stuff, even though she's pretty happy doing what she's doing. And the wake-up call of... I'm not going to be on my parents' insurance anymore. I probably need to kind of get my act together and have a real quote-unquote job. Um, And so one night she's out with friends at a bar and she gets a call from the mom that she's the babysitter for asking if um, she can come to the suburbs and uh, take, or I don't know if it's necessarily, it's it's like 
a little ways away from where they are, um, asking if she can come watch Briar, the three-year-old, because they've had an incident at the house and the police need to be called and the mom doesn't want Briar there to witness it. So Amira leaves and with her best friend and go. they go and pick up Briar and they take her to this uh, fancy kind of upscale grocery store in their neighborhood, in the neighborhood of... Um, Briar's family where they live. I figure it's sort of like Whole Foods or something like that. They yeah, describe yeah. that that Briar can be <laughs> occupied by looking at the nuts, like the nut aisle. Uh, that, would, so that would fascinate even an adult. Yes. Not just a little kid yes. thing. So they're there. They're trying to keep her entertained. They're, it's doing a pretty good job of it, actually, being at the grocery store. They're walking up and down the aisles and pointing things out. And, and they're having a good time. There, a song comes on the radio, and she and her best friend kind of dance a little bit to it. It's just all in good fun kind of thing. And then a security guard shows up uh, and questions whether Amira has kidnapped Briar because Amira is black and Briar is white and Amira is still dressed in her club clothes so it doesn't really look typically like a, the babysitter would and a, a white woman has gone and gotten the security guard and gotten his attention and said something I think something is wrong there something is happening there so you have Amira not exactly sure how to handle this situation because she doesn't want to be perceived as aggressive because she doesn't want the security guard do it harming her in any way and so she is trying to be pretty rational and calm she also doesn't want to set up um, upset briar because there's this little three-year-old who she loves and who loves her and she doesn't want to cause her any harm any like emotional harm and there's a bystander who a guy who's standing there uh, videotaping the whole thing on his phone so this whole thing has just the, the possibility of really escalating into a, a bad situation. And so Amira calls uh, the Briar's dad and has him come to the grocery store and vouch for her, basically. And the security guard backs down and says, oh, gosh, I'm so sorry. You know, I didn't realize. And, and everything kind of calms down. But it's, it's a pretty upsetting event in, on its own. And then, so that's kind of like the inciting event. Um, you have the bystander who reaches out to Amira and they end up sort of starting to date and he is a white man. Uh, and they're, they're kind of casual, they're not super serious and he's a little bit older than her, but they're dating and they're having a nice time. And then you have Briar's mom, Alex, or I think it's described her that she pronounced it at like, Alex or something like that, but I'm just going to call her Alex because Alex does not roll off my tongue. And it's spelled, <laughs> it's spelled like Alex, so I'm just going to say Alex. Uh, and she is a blogger, kind of influencer person. She built a whole career around writing notes, like thank you notes to people or just generally writing notes to people. And so she's become a motivational speaker, uh, influencer kind of hybrid and has recently moved from Manhattan to Philadelphia and is feeling a little bit adrift. She has two kids now, a relatively young baby, and then Briar, who's three, like I said, and uh, is supposed to be finishing a book. She's supposed to be writing a book. So that is purportedly why Amira has been hired, so that Al Alex Alix can take time to finish this book. But really what... Alex is doing is wasting time. <laughs> she is 
She's just adrift. She's sort of in a weird mental place. She misses Manhattan. She misses her friends. She misses her life there. She's not quite sure how to write this book that she's supposed to be writing. And so she kind of latches onto Amira and tries to become friends with her. And it's it's awkward because Amira thinks of her as an employer. There's obviously a power dynamic here. And so one night Alex asks her to stay after and have a glass of wine together and starts asking her about the guy she's dating and stuff. And so Amira's sort of in this strange position of not wanting to offend her, but also feeling like she would like to keep her private life private. And then Alex decides to have a dinner party and invite Amira with her new boyfriend. And when Amira and her new boyfriend show up, it's immediately apparent that Alex and the boyfriend know each other from high school. And they had some sort of weird incident that has caused both of them to think very poorly of the other one. And so it's just all, all complicated and awkward. And it's, it's, it's just beautifully done. It's beautifully, so many great observations about human behavior. One of the things I thought was interesting before I even read the book, I noticed it is that a lot of reviews and then the synopsis refer to Alex as a well-intentioned white woman. And so as you're reading, you're thinking to yourself, but it's not the intention. (laughs) You can have all the good intentions that you want. It's how you actually behave that really matters. And it becomes clear that Alex Alex doesn't think of herself as at all as a racist. She's she has a black friend kind of <laughs> kind of person. And so she she thinks of herself as as again, well-intentioned and, and a good person. But what you see is she she just undercuts it with all these subtle racist actions uh, and these power dynamics that that go on with she and Amira so it was very engaging it's just generally just a good story like it's just a good read it's very absorbing it's you get started right off the bat with that incident at the grocery store and so it sucks you right in and then you're you're reading along thinking oh no (laughs) oh no I mean Amira is a very likable character and Alex I felt started out as a likable character and then the more you get to know her you're seeing her you're like Oh no, this isn't this is not good. She is not great. <laughs> but I think she's very representative of like you mentioned microaggressions earlier. I think she's very representative of a lot of uh, people who think of themselves as not being a certain way, not being racist, not being whatever, but they actually don't see what what the issues are. Uh, just not very self-aware, I guess. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, sure. more more concise way of saying that. So anyway, I just thought this was a fabulous, fabulous book. It is a debut novel, which is ridiculous because it's so good and it's so well done. Um, And it is very thought-provoking. And that is Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed. Another author that I've heard speak that was very, very insightful. And the most beautiful woman I've seen in real life. I'm just going to say it again. (laughs) I would be disappointed if you did not. Um, okay, am I am I up? You're up. It's your turn. Okay. Um, so my last book is Hollywood Homicide by Kelly Garrett, and the author is a former Hollywood screenwriter. So she is writing about what she knows, and she has really great insight into into LA culture and what it means to be a black woman in Hollywood. And so she wrote a dishy um, 
kind of snappy mystery to to convey that that life that she led, um, which I think is so much fun. <laughs> so um, I was really excited to read this. Uh, the main character is named Dana Anderson, and she has had a little bit of success as a commercial actress in Hollywood. So she's recognizable on the street, but unfortunately, it's because she was the face of a fast food chicken chain restaurant for many years. So it's not the um, the rec- uh, the accolades, I guess she was really hoping for and um her life hasn't gone the way she expected it to so she doesn't really have true fame but she decides that it's she gave her her time in hollywood and she's going to move on but she's really broke in the meantime and and she's trying to temp on the side and kind of figure out what she's going to do so um she finds out at the beginning of the book that her parents have made a lot of really bad financial decisions and that they're about to lose their house and so um Dana is doing everything that she can to to try to help them, but it's a pretty hopeless situation. But one night she's out with her friends and she realizes that she was near a hit and run death um, that occurred and um, a young woman named Haley died. So they actually saw the car speeding away. So she decides that she has enough information to go for the $15,000 reward money and, and that maybe she can help her parents with this. Um, situation. So she um, gets her friends to help her with it. And it's a really fun cast of characters in this book. It's it's not just Dana that's that's making it sort of sparkling. Um, all of her friends, I think they're actually her, at least one of them is her roommate. I think I think both of them are her roommates, but now I'm, I'm having a hard time remembering. Um, but they're, they're tied to Hollywood in different ways. So there's one that's trying to get a reality show, which um, I would love to watch that show. <laughs> um, and then there's another one who has zero interest in Hollywood and she's actually like a computer genius, but her twin sister is an A-list actress. So she's always being, uh, followed and, um, um, people are asking to take her picture all the time because they think it's this actress. So at the same time that this is going on as, as, uh, um, Dana is, is having this adventure, she, um, is also reading about the string of break-ins at mansions in Hollywood to steal clothes, and the press has named the, the whatever group is doing this the Rack Pack, um, which I thought was a fun nod to the bling ring. Um, it's very clear what the, the author is going for in this, um, which if you haven't seen that movie, that is pure delight. It is so much fun. So um, you can kind of see where my, my interests lie. Um, so Dana starts to look into into Haley's life and she realizes that there is much more to her story than a simple hit and run. Um, and, and she finds all kinds of, of dark secrets. So this really has a great soft boiled feel. Um, if you're a fan of Janet Ivanovich, then this is the perfect book for you. Cause it's, it's very similar to that. Um, and Dana has this very snappy um, kind of homage to noir language uh way of speaking um so it, it all it reminded me a lot of a raymond chandler novel but mm-hmm. a modern day version of it so i think that there's a clear link that the, that uh kelly garrett is making between that era of la crime stories and her detective that her amateur detective who i think becomes a in later books becomes an actual detective i can't i haven't read him yet but i think that's what happens so there's there are just tons of ridiculous situations and really the book is kind of just it's not i mean you're, you're interested in in 
the solution for sure. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of more about going along for the ride because it's it's just fun to be there and you want to be part of this group and getting into situations where you really have no idea what you're doing, but you're you're going to figure it out and uh, hopefully wake up the next morning to, to tell, tell the tale. And there's a little bit of romance and it's funny and there's definitely a feeling of, of kind of how the sausage gets made, look at, at Hollywood. Um, and that's really fun, especially from people who are on the fringes, who mm-hmm. uh, some of them want to be on the inside. Um, I've talked before, I think, on the podcast about how I'm just very, very entranced by the intertwining of L.A. as a city with Hollywood and how they both have to support each other. And so this really scratched that itch for me. And it was a pure delight to read. That is Hollywood Homicide by Kelly Garrett. That sounds delightful. <laughs> I really enjoy it. It was yeah. so much fun. That sounds really I haven't ever heard of her. And so thank you. I think you would recognize the cover. It's a pretty. Uh, oh, yeah. I'll look it like, up. After. Distinctive car- cartoon cover. Huh. I think you'll know it. OK, I'll have to look it up. So my last one, I'm so excited, is, <laughs> is Homegoing by Yaa Jossi, which is one of my favorite books of possibly all time. I mean, it's, it's, it's up there. It's up yeah. there among my favorites of all time. And I was positive that I had talked about it. And I don't know how it's possible I have not talked about it. The so, only thing I could think of is that I read it I know exactly when I read it, and I think that maybe that was just too close to when we took our hiatus so that yeah. I never had the opportunity, because I'm pretty sure I, well, now I don't remember really when we took our hiatus, but I, I'm pretty sure I read it when it you were recovering from surgery, and so I think we were probably taking a break Yeah, it was then. July 2017. Yeah, so yeah. I think we were probably taking a break because you were recovering from your surgery, so it wouldn't have been what I was reading that week and so then it probably never whatever topics we were discussing didn't you know it didn't fit and then yeah we never did a favorites of the year because by the end of that year I had moved so yeah that I've had to go back because I was like how how is this possible (laughs) well I I do remember that I it was one of my preview books okay we, we did very briefly yes. give a synopsis. So maybe that also, and we've talked about it in passing several times. Yeah. So all of that conspires to make it you is. think you've talked about it. Makes me feel like I'm losing my mind. <laughs> Thank goodness for archives. <laughs> Thank goodness for the spreadsheet that Anne keeps of every book that we talk about, because otherwise I would never know anything. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So this one the description I don't think is going to do it justice, but you just have to feel the love coming through the microphone to understand that this book is worth reading. Uh, it is about, it was not even, okay. <laughs> so it starts with <laughs> two half sisters who are born in the 18th century in Ghana. And one of the girls grows up and marries an Englishman who oversees the British interest in the slave trade in the gold, on the gold coast, in the gold coast in Africa. And the other is sold into slavery and transported to America. And so what follows in the book covers 300 years of their descendants' lives and what happens to these two branches of the same family. And the sisters never meet. Their, their, whole, their lives are totally separate from each other. And so the, the, the book's basically a series of short stories that each chapter checks in on 
one of the descendants in their in their family line chronologically. So it's marching forward in time until basically present day. And you never really lose the thread. It's so well done because each chapter feels like its own perfectly rendered story. It feels complete. You feel like you have this snapshot of the character and what they're going through and and their emotions and the situation they're in and all this stuff. And also within that, you are understanding how it's a part of the greater whole of it, you never lose track of which sister they've descended from. And so it's, it's like the the sum is the greater. What's that? What's that? Why am I struggling with that phrase? The greater the than its, its part. part. There's some of it. What is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> what is that very common phrase that everybody knows that I cannot think of right now? Because we're being recorded, and so you start to not yeah. think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, so it's. E- and each individual chapter, each individual person's story is beautiful. But then, again, she's doing kind of this this amazing work where they're all connected because of their their bloodline, you know, but because of their descendants. And so, but you're seeing kind of the progression of what has come before and how that's that's impacted the person's life that you're reading about in the story, if that, if that makes sense. And so each story shares with that impact about the slavery. They, they're both of the original sisters somehow is involved in slavery, either as a slave or as the wife of somebody who's in power. And so both of the, the families then are impacted by slavery and prejudice and racism as they go through life and you see the different iterations of that as as time goes by and as as their as the world changes and what impact that has on these individual characters and it's just so good it's sweeping because of the time frame but it feels very intimate because you're reading about individual people and it's it's not a particularly long read she does a lot in guessing maybe 350 pages so often when I think of sweeping I think of these long 600 700 800 page books that have sure. a cast of you know, it feels like hundreds of characters and yeah. these generations of people and this is a very sort of I can't think of the right word but it it's it's not that expansive story it's a very kind of personal story but it's representative of a very sweeping story so, yeah, so it's one of my favorites. It's called Homegoing by Yaa Jossi. Everybody should read it. Yee. I've, so I don't count that I've read it because I listened to it and mm. I, and it was a good, it, like it was a good audiobook. There was mm. nothing wrong with it. I just have, I, I know that when I listen, I tend to tune out more than I want to. Mm-hmm. And on that one, um, which is why like cozy mysteries are perfect for for me for listening to things because i i don't need to pay as much attention but that one i'm like i kept thinking i'm not doing this justice by listening to it so i need to go back and and actually physically read it because i could tell it was one of the best books i'd read but um i feel like audio would do a disservice to the way it would feel more disparate i feel like as an audio book i feel like you would lose some of that connection 
because each story does feel complete. And so it would just be like, you would go, for me, I feel like I would lose track of yeah. who who was related to who right. and, and where we kind of were and, and what had come before. I don't know. Audio just, I sort of pay attention in a different way to audios. I, I generally do much better with lighter. Yeah. Air. Well, and especially with, with names, I have... I have to read a name for it to really stick in my head. Mm. And very, very often with audiobooks, if someone has any glancing way a similar name to another character, Mm -hmm. I conflate them. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas if I read it, then it's like imprinted on my brain. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I think that's actually why I decided that I, I needed to, to read the print book because I, I wasn't, I knew that they were referencing previous characters, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't, yeah they were all well like enough the same character they sounded similar yeah yeah, yeah. i mean i knew it wasn't the same story but right. i but i didn't re- i wasn't following the through lines right. as much right. as i wanted to and and i knew that she was doing a really really good job with laying all this foundation and mm-hmm. building on it and i wasn't um i wasn't doing service mm-hmm. enough service to right. to her work right. by listening so that's not a, a knock on the the narrator it's just a mm-hmm. knock on my brain yeah well <laughs> i think literary listening. fiction is hard on audio i yeah avoid it if i can because i just it never there's something that to, for me again that's something i need to read i can't listen yeah to, uh, tune out um but, and she has a new book out yes coming out that i'm very excited about i think i talked about it in the spring preview but yeah i'm excited to read it all right well so that's it for this portion we will be right back with what we're reading this week okay Anne, what are you reading this week so during quarantine i've been going through my books and that sounds like i'll have done some good work (laughs) (laughs) wait wait question before you continue okay is your can you access books physical books at your library right now is it available no. for at all no mine ain't there. starting next week they're doing curbside pickup oh, nice. so mine yeah they haven't even announced that yet <laughs> <Here>. <laughs> it's very very I, intricate how they're doing it too the like they're they have a whole system of how they're they're going to to do this that requires you bring a an eight by eight and a half by 11 piece of paper with you with your oh. name on it oh. and um I'm, that's just very very sp- specific well <laughs> so. what what do they do with this piece of paper with your name I, well you write your name on it and then they can see you from far away and oh. then bring what you need so yeah they've yeah. thought this through pretty clearly so my local um, library just announced well one of them now as i've mentioned <laughs> i mentioned on a previous episode i have library cards at two different library systems here but one that i use more often they just announced that i think in a week or two they're going to start accepting returns oh yeah uh but they haven't and they're working on some sort of curbside situation but they haven't they haven't started yet yeah i've had a whole i've had a book on hold since ready to be picked up since like march 10th yeah and they closed on like the 14th or something so yeah anyway sorry that was just yeah. a little tangent <laughs> well I was wondering when you're saying you're going through books I was wondering if you had access to a library no well and other people that I I have friends who um one one co-worker didn't bring enough books home with mm. her she she doesn't have very many books at home she reads a ton but she just doesn't keep them mm-hmm. and um 
and keeps them at work and so she didn't bring enough home and I and all these people that are like struggling for stuff to read and I look at my apartment and oh, I yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's a little comical of how <laughs> many books I have so um so I was going through them because I wanted to kind of shift some my collection a little bit and so I found this um this collection of picture books that I have um and they've all been organized but I I realized that I had maybe five or six that I had never actually read. I had just looked at the pictures and then put it away. And so I thought, well, this will be fun to read. So I'm going to talk about a picture book called mm -hmm. Lorraine, The Girl Who Sang the Storm Away by Ketch Secker and Higgins Bond. And this is a book that I got at work when the authors came to do a, a talk, um, as I I mentioned many times as a perk of my job. So the author who wrote the words is Ketch Secker, and he is a member of Old Crow Medicine Show, uh, which I confess I had never heard of until I moved here, but um, that's just not my... Uh, it's not not my musical scene, but it's not the musical scene I pay attention to. So um, they're a Nashville band, and they perform Americana, and they play at the Grand Old Opry a lot. I always see them advertised there. And he's... Um, I, I see his name a lot now too. This they actually came pretty close to when I started working at Ingram, so um, I'm not sure that um, how much I would have noticed this before. But but luckily, the whole time I've been in Nashville, I've I've noticed his name um, a lot because he's really active in the community. And then Higgins Bond is an artist and illustrator who is also local, and she is the first Black woman to have a painting put on a U.S. postal stamp postage stamp. So. Um, which is just really cool. <laughs> I think that's really fun. I don't remember, I looked it up, but I don't remember what the, the painting is now that she did for the, the stamp. So I'll have to see if I can find a picture of that. So they collaborated together on this, this book and it's about a little girl named Lorraine who lives in rural Tennessee. And I think it's in the thirties. Um, it's definitely not current day, but it, it isn't really specified when, like what time period this is, but I know there's a truck in the background and I, I feel like it, looks 30s and she lives with her grandfather named papa and they love to play music together she she plays the penny whistle and he plays the harmonica and then um one morning she notices that things around the house are missing and she eventually can't find their instruments and so she's really distraught but the grandfather tells her that they can still sing together so um soon after this there's a massive storm that hits at night and Lorraine is terrified but Papa tells her that they can sing through their fear which is just such a sweet sentiment um and it's it's really beautifully illustrated um to to make you feel that warmth and comfort that her her grandfather is giving her so the the book the the text is written in a rhyming verse which makes sense for a, a songwriter to do and then they're accompanied by the prettiest acrylic paintings and when i opened this book up i thought oh my gosh this looks so much like driving through rural tennessee like she just has captured that vibrant green and the rolling hills and farmland so so well um when these two authors spoke at work Higgins Bond said that she modeled the illustrations on her gram her grandparents house so the kitchen pictures and the farm look just like her memories so it, it has a little bit of an idealized um I mean everything is is like just sparkling in this in these paintings and so you can feel that nostalgia that she feels for this for these memories um and for her grandparents in these paintings which is is really beautiful um so sort of to bring it back to to what we've been, been talking about um, in this episode, 
I've seen a lot of posts from my children's librarian friends, uh, of which there are many, about talking to kids about what's going on right now and how when you're sharing, um, if you're using books to talk about the the current uh, racial issues in our country, um, they need to be countered with books that show black children just living a happy, normal, everyday life because you don't want to give the impression that black stories are all issues stories. That's that's sort of the librarian term that we use, our, our issues books. Um, and so this would be a perfect book to sort of counteract that that messaging because it just shows a really happy family um, that's full of love and and has a, just a, a really great message and a great um, great illustrations to depict that. So it was beautiful. And that title is Lorraine, the Girl Who Sang the Storm Away by Ketch Secker and Higgins Bond. That sounds lovely. And how nice to do a children's book. I don't know a picture book. I don't think we've ever done a picture book. I don't know. Have we not? We've done graphic novels, yeah. like kids' graphic novels, but yeah, I don't think yeah. we've ever done two picture books. Yeah. Well, I'll read I'll read one one a week, or one every two weeks, so I can do it as what I'm reading this week <laughs> until I get through my stack. I will not do that, but it was it was a nice like like change up from like, yeah, I can see what that. I normally read. So I it was can see that. very That's cute. Nice. All right, so what? I read this week was The Deep by River Solomon. Oh, yeah. I hear about this book all the time. Okay. So that's why I'm going to talk about it because this this is way not my usual read. Yeah. <laughs> it is not. But it's so interesting because the story – so I'm, I'll share a little bit about the story behind it. And then it has a very interesting premise. And then I'll say that – I feel very confident that there are a lot of people out there who would absolutely love it. I don't think that my reading tastes are generally like in this vein. It's a very kind of lyrical book, which isn't always my thing, and speculative fiction, which isn't always my thing. So there were a lot of factors that I'm glad I read it and I appreciated it. It was it was a hard read though in a lot of ways, but I want to talk about it because it's beautiful and so it's just very kind of raw, I would say. Um, all right, so let me tell you what it's about, and then I'm going to tell you kind of about the making of it. So um, the the premise of the story is that the on ships that were traveling from African countries to America to bring slaves to America there would be women who were pregnant and when they gave birth to their babies the babies were thrown overboard because nobody wanted a baby to buy basically which is horrific to even say those words um so the babies would die obviously they would drown so the stories the story this book imagines that these babies lived and became a community of mer people in the ocean and imagines that there is uh, one person who is the historian of the community and in this book it is Yetu is her name and she is responsible for collecting the memories of the community so that the rest of the community members can forget the horrors that were perpetrated upon them and so this is a hard job for her to be the memory keeper and each year there's an annual ritual where she shares the information and then takes it all back so that they don't have the burden 
but she has to bear that burden. So one year she runs away because she just can't take it. And it causes its own complications when she decides to run away. And so it's, it's a very meditative book. And as I said, very, um, lots of anger, obviously based on the subject matter. Um, but the, the thing that drew me, kind of kept me going with it was that it, it originated as a song that was created for, I think that this was the original, it was created for the podcast, uh, This American Life. And if you listen to This American Life, you know, sometimes they'll have these little short pieces of fiction or songs that are included based on whatever topic they're talking about. So the, there was a song that was written uh, for this. And then like a techno band took it and reworked it. And then now River Solomon took that same story and wrote a book about it. So it's kind of interesting. They have, there's a whole afterword at the end where they say it's it's open to people's interpretation. Somebody else could take it and turn it into a play. Somebody else could take that story and turn There's no sense of intellectual property that you can't steal it kind of. It's That's very really cool. I know. It's very interesting. Um, like building on, it, on yeah, itself. Yes, like, exactly. Like what the same basic story, but in all these different art forms. So it's one that I appreciated more than I enjoyed. But I think it's worth reading. So I know that's not the biggest endorsement you could have, but I think <laughs> it's I think it's one that it's thought provoking and it's good to stretch yourself sometimes in, in what you uh, consume as entertainment right. or as and and so yeah, that's where I'll leave it. That's the deep by R- Rivers Solomon. Well, and. And I think we're on the same page of, of not enjoying speculative fiction a ton. Um, but that it always frustrates me that I don't enjoy the reading process more because I think the ideas, especially when it comes to people of color writing speculative fiction, um, because they're they're so often grappling with history mm-hmm. and, and things and social issues. Mm-hmm. And I and I think that that is um, I, I mean, maybe I just need to read more of those and, mm-hmm. and not read other um speculative fiction that is just plot based because i i just it never i always i mean i've said this many times on the podcast where i'm like i really didn't enjoy this well that's Um, yeah so that was the thing so some part of the reason i like genre fiction is because generally it uh is very fast-paced and absorbing and you just jump right in and not always but a lot of the time and this felt more much more literary a bit more a bit quieter a bit more I needed to pay attention and I I don't know if it was there's a lot going on in the world right now I don't know it was the best time for something that that took that attention but it was short so that part was uh good and bad because it wasn't it was I stuck with it, I think, because it was short, but at the same time, it was over, and I was thinking, oh, wait, I don't know that I gave that its its full due yeah. and, and full attention. But it's intriguing. It's such an intriguing yeah. premise, and it's something that now I want to go back and listen to the song and read more about how it was it all came to the all came to pass and i'm I'm intrigued enough to River Solomon, uh, I believe it only has one other book that 
was written an unkindness of ghosts I think oh yeah and so I'm curious enough to go try to read that so it was again I'm feeling kind of like I'm waffling here but I want to convey that I think there are plenty of people that would find this book fascinating and really really like it I don't think I was deaf I was that reader because of the less because of the subject matter and more because of the speculative nature of it that's not my thing so do you remember from from the afterward, I don't know if it was addressed there when David Diggs got involved with it. So that's or... what I was, as I was saying it, I was like, wait, there have been two iterations of the song because one was by this techno group, which I could quickly try to look up, but one's by a techno group and then the other is by that group that David Diggs is in. And I don't know which came first. I want to say yeah. the techno group and then the David Diggs group, which again, I'm, I don't remember the, the name of his his rap group, but I feel like they were the This American Life Oh, but I don't okay. know. I don't know. I I'm not sure. Yeah, um, I mean everything I've read and and I've heard this I've heard this book talked about so much or were just like advertised so much mm-hmm. and they always bring up him his name with it. Mm-hmm. So I always had thought it was just like a a song he had written or you know he and his group and then kind of in collaboration with with the author so that it was sort of a two part. Uh, creative process, but I didn't realize that it had kind of started and then just expanded. Like, well, and like it's, it has maybe been. I'm misrepresenting what was maybe it was maybe the book was more of a collaboration. My under my impression was she took what they did and expanded on it, but it's possible they had some influence on the actual writing of the book. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't know exactly who the first creator was, and then yeah where that morphed into the next thing but there were I feel like there were these two song, two versions of the song and then yeah. her book I think oh it's such a cool idea yeah because it's not even just like oh we're all taking like here's the kernel and here's a bunch of people that are doing versions of it, mm-hmm. it of that same kernel it's like here's the kernel then there's another version and then someone else has a version on top of that and mm-hmm. it just keeps building which yeah. is really cool which is cool All right, Anne, why don't we list off all the books that we talked about today? Okay, I talked about The Sellout by Paul Beatty, Passing by Nella Larson, Hollywood Homicide by Kelly Garrett, and what I'm reading this week is Lorraine, The Girl Who Sang the Storm Away by Ketch Secker and Higgins Bond. And I talked about An American Marriage by by Tayari Jones, Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed. Homegoing by Yajasi, and what I was reading this week is The Deep by Rivers Solomon. So if you would like to get in touch with us to give us feedback or a suggestion on a topic you'd like us to discuss, you can email us at wellreadpod at gmail.com. You can find us on our Facebook page or on Twitter or on Instagram now at wellreadpodcast. Oh, yeah. Uh, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your other podcast provider of choice. We have received our first poor review, uh, which <laughs> I feel like we've really made it if you're oh, getting yeah. bad reviews. It's clearly not just our friends and family that are listening anymore. Yeah. Or maybe we have really mean friends and family who decided to give us a bad review. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It would it would be fun to find out, though. So they can they can email us later. But now, now we know that we're real podcasters. Yes, we are real podcasters. So, yes, it, please... Please review us. We like the good reviews better than the bad ones, but review us and it helps people find the show. Our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Bear. We keep our show notes at wellreadpodcast.wordpress.com where you can find a listing of every book we talked about in this and all episodes. Thank you all for listening. Happy reading and stay